This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Back in the heady days of the real estate boom, property prices in New York City soared along with those in the rest of the U.S. When the subprime mortgage crisis hit and prices collapsed, the city's market held out longer than others for two reasons. First, it's a major financial center with strong demand, and second, the weak dollar made it possible for international buyers and investors to find deals at discounts as high as 40%. Where will the New York market be in 2009? Where are the most attractive deals to be found in emerging markets? In a podcast recorded at the Knowledge at Wharton Real Estate Forum on Emerging Markets on December 2nd, Donald Trump Jr., Executive Vice President of Development and Acquisitions at the Trump Organization, speaks about those questions and more. He also discusses how he views his unique contribution to expanding the Trump brand overseas, building on the foundation laid by his famous father. Our next guest is Donald Trump Jr., Executive Vice President of Development and Acquisitions for the Trump Organization. Donald, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. The question on everyone's mind these days is the world financial crisis and the impact on uh, the real estate market. Uh, how's real estate doing in New York and some of the other markets where you're active? Well, I think real estate in New York is an interesting thing because you know, New York is always known as perhaps the place for real estate. It's really you know synonymous with New York. But um, I think what we've seen over the last few months, the real estate market in New York has really taken a turn with the rest of the world, meaning real estate prices over the U.S., over Europe, over the emerging markets, everywhere, has really gone up without any rationale for the past few years. New York didn't actually experience the first part of the downslope when everything turned around, when people realized that they didn't know what they were buying. It all of a sudden didn't make sense to buy at a two-cap, et cetera, et cetera. New York was held up for a couple reasons. A, it's a financial epicenter of the world still. You know, we, we thought maybe other places would be, you know, there was all this talk of decoupling. And we, yeah, we realized that when the U.S. goes down, we're still taking the rest of the world with us. So maybe that's good, bad, indifferent, whatever it may be. But New York was held up for that. And it was also really held up primarily because the dollar had just been underperforming incredibly. I mean, you had such a low dollar relative to the pound, relative to the euro, relative to so many other currencies, that there was this huge influx of emerging market buyers, of European buyers, uh, that are basically buying at a 40% discount. So when you saw um, prices in New York start to drop was when that changed. And all of a sudden, the euro is not so strong and the pound wasn't so strong because everyone said, well, you know what, maybe New York's at an all-time peak. But what different, the peak is relative. If you're buying at a 40% discount off of peak, you say, okay, I, I can do that. For a lot of people, it was the emerging market, the association of just owning a place in New York. I've made money owning a company. I've done very well for myself over the past few years. You know, I, I really want something in New York. And you know, that was working until just recently. When we see the slide, and again, prices have held fairly stably, but what we've seen is a downturn in velocity, so we know what's coming next. What about some of the other markets where you're active? Uh, what, what's the situation there? Well, you know, I think you know very much the same, um, other than those markets really started going much earlier. I think if you talk about, say, in the U.S., we were in Chicago. Chicago hit a wall two years ago. I mean, it was really Chicago should have been the talisman for what's to come across the market in the U.S. Um, obviously, you know, Las Vegas, South Florida, Southern California, there are other markets that are troubled. There's other places that were actually continue to do well, amazingly enough, in Toronto and Canada. Um, you know, and again, a lot of these projects 
we really haven't been very long in terms of our own equity in many of these projects for the past few years. So most of the things that we have were actually jobs that started 2003, 2004, started delivering you know, now, so, you know, substantially complete. So we don't have a lot of the issues that a lot of other development companies have where all of a sudden your financing is based on X valuation, your valuation, your real valuation is 50% of X. Um, so you have problems. I think um, across the, you know, the world really that we've been looking at, um, you've seen major slowdowns in the Middle East, um, whether it be because, you know, the pricing of the dollar has gone down because some of the investments that they made just didn't turn out to be so good. Um, things are becoming a lot tighter over there, but things are becoming tighter everywhere, and it's, it's really been a global downturn. Uh, are, you look, are you finding any good opportunities in emerging markets? Not yet. Uh, we've been looking at the emerging markets heavily for the past few years. I think, you know, with a father such as my own, uh, probably the best place that I could have ever made any kind of stance is by getting outside of New York. You know, New York's his market. He hates to travel. Therefore, and ergo, you know, if I want to do stuff, it's going to be outside. So I really do probably spend 70% of my time on the road traveling. I think my, my passport reads like a phone book, and I've probably, since May, I've probably hit 17 or 18 countries um, outside the U.S., and so in seeing those markets, I think there's many opportunities. There's a lot of characters. There's a lot of things that are being underserved. Um, for us, we're primarily a high-end company. We deal only in the five-star type product, whether that's resort, hotel, condominium residences. So, you know, that's going to change perhaps our time frame a little bit. But I think certainly the emerging world continues to be incredibly underserved in the high-end. I mean, if you go even a city like Dubai – and, you know, I'll use this as an example because I said this is how we're going to you know, do well when we eventually get to build over there, which you go there, you see the highest end of the product, and you say this is, you know, Class C New York rental, if that. And it's the best of the best in that given market. So I think as people's tastes start to mature, as that wealth starts coming back into those markets, those people truly appreciate, you know, the difference between subpar real estate and prime real estate, and they're starting to recognize those things. Um, you know, part of that's an education process. They just don't know. Part of that's also really working with the local labor to train them to be able to build to an aesthetic finish that's acceptable, say, in the U.S. for five-star finishes. That just is unheard of there. I mean, a floor could be humped. It could be sloped. It could be level. It, but, you know, because you call it five-star, it all of a sudden is. It's, you know, great marketing, lack of product to follow it. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in those markets. Um, and certainly as basis is come back down to rational levels, right? When I was looking at performance, I say, okay, well, if I could sell it the high end here and I'm buying my land in here, where, if I have to build a building, what's left? There's nothing there. So I think as we've seen kind of a recentering, you know, on a price per square foot basis of land, um, as we've seen commodities prices come back into check and into, you know, normal levels, um, certainly as we've seen oil and gas come back in, you know, as a driver of all of those commodities, um, you know, I, I see those opportunities and those margins starting to create themselves again. It's going to be a matter of time. I think someone asked me just now at the conference, you know, what's the next big bubble? And I said, it's probably the distressed markets, you know, the, getting in on distressed real estate too early. Um, that's going to be the next problem. Part of that is it's a bubble by default in that there's nothing else no one else is going long anything, so there's nothing else to be actually to have to be a bubble. But, you know, that's probably it. So it's really going to be a factor of timing it, getting it, you know, on or near the bottom. I, but frankly, I'd rather miss the bottom and get it on the upslope than to say, okay, well, we're probably near bottom. It'll probably drop a little bit in the next couple of months. And all of a sudden, two years later, you're saying, well, we've, you know, we never really dropped much lower, but we've maintained a kind of a low plateau for two years. And that, that's a situation I want to avoid. So I'd rather take my time and be very selective about how we enter these markets. Help me understand how you evaluate market opportunities. So you go into these 18 markets. 
Uh, how do you go about deciding which opportunities are worthwhile and which ones are not? And again, I think what we do perhaps differently, and certainly what I do and have learned from my father that's different than most of the real estate companies is I'm actually looking at the real estate you know, and what I can envision there to be the real estate. I think one of the big problems that we've seen in, in the real estate bubble over the past few years is that people have purely been looking at a matrix on a spreadsheet and saying, okay, well, this looks great without taking into account you know, the demographics, you know, which side of the street you're on, which zip code you're in. And I mean, I, people say, well, what do you think of the New York market? And I say, New York, what do you mean New York market? I, I break it down on the zip code. And then in that zip code, I'll break it down into cross streets. If you go down Fifth Avenue, you know, if you look on the east side of the street versus the west side of the street, there's a substantial difference in retail rents. Well, is that because of the sun lines? Is that because the retail things are broken up because there's more commercial spaces that don't have retail? You know, for whatever reasons, you can't just say Fifth Avenue. I mean, east or west, a 75% difference in rent could mean a lot to a, a tenant, but it could also mean a lot to the traffic flowing. So you have to look into the variables much more in, in much more detail. So I don't know that I have a fixed formula when I go into these markets to look at a piece of real estate. I go in, I look at the real estate. Sometimes it screams out, you know, this is so obvious. It's so underserved. It's such a great location. And sometimes it takes that outsider's perspective to realize that because, you, you know, if you live in a market, you pass it 30 times, you say, oh, it's always been bad. Well, because it's always been bad doesn't mean it can't be the next great. What keeps you up at night? <laughs> My job. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think just trying to figure out, you know, where those next deals are going to be, where to get in at those bases, trying to continually figure out a way to properly, you know, manage the growth of our company, because I think there are going to be incredible opportunities. So uh, beyond just those opportunities, though, there's an opportunity cost associated with every one of those opportunities. And so perhaps what's what drives me crazy at night is I don't necessarily think we're at the bottom yet, although I do think there's probably good deals to be made today. Um, I, you know, I don't want to just say, well, I don't think generally we're not at the bottom yet. Well, you know, you can always find that one-off deal that's incredible. Just like you can always find, you can often find a one-off deal that's an amazing steal in a high market. You just say, what? Because, you know, the stars just aligned right that day. So I, I think a lot of what keeps me up is really trying to figure out a way to value, you know, one deal relative to another or relative to a deal I haven't yet seen, but I probably have a feeling there's going to be a lot of in time. And what that, you know, with unlimited capital, it's great. And while we have quite a bit, you know, you're never unlimited in this world relative to where valuations have gone these days. So it's really that and playing those opportunity costs and trying to figure out which is going to be the right deal to have chosen in time. Uh, one last question. Your, your dad has, of course, built a very successful uh, reputation and, and a tremendous brand for, for, for the Trump organization. Mm -hmm. What would you like your unique contribution to the brand to be over time? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because it, it, it is very difficult to certainly get out from under the umbrella that he's created. And he really, you know, over 30 years has created an incredible foundation for which, you know, to allow me to grow into different things. But I think, again, as I started off the conversation, he's a New York guy. He's very this. He doesn't like to travel. And so I think a lot of what I've been able to do has been expand that brand and take that foundation that he's created and be able to really turn it into not only a brand that's recognized globally, but a brand that actually has a global presence. Um, and is everywhere, whether that be by way of you know condominium developments, expanding um, and creating really a lot of our, our hotel management side and a lot of the things that we've been doing over the last few years. So uh, while there is great pressure to perhaps, yeah, I don't really look at it as, oh, I have to figure out a way. It, it, it just, it's a natural expansion. And whether he takes credit for it or I get credit for it, it makes no difference to me so long as the bottom line is good. Donald, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, 
please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.